In college, I attended Park Street Church in downtown Boston. Uh, it occupies some prime real estate. It is a stone's throw from the Boston Commons, and literally the capital is just right up the street. Park Street Subway, one of the oldest subway stops in all of the country. You come up out of the Park Street stop, and there is the church right in front of you. It is an old church. It's been around for uh, over 200 years, started in 1810. But the thing that is most impressive about Park Street Church is that it has faithfully proclaimed the gospel the entire time. And that's not normal. That's actually abnormal. It's extraordinary. Because uh, what is typical is that over time, churches get off into the weeds theologically, and their witness for Christ goes out. They might still be around, but they're not preaching the gospel. Uh, they are preaching a false gospel, and that's unfortunately uh, too often the case. So as a young man, I was inspired by the faithful longevity of Park Street Church. And as an aspiring leader of the church, God used that to uh, give me a vision and a goal. And I said to the Lord as a young man, I said, God, if you give me the privilege of leading a church, it's not enough for me to lead well. I want to lay a foundation that lasts. I, I want to be uh, a result of my ministry to be that the, the church that I lead is uh, set up to follow you for the long haul and to be pay faithful to you for the long haul. So Clearwater Church, we're a year and a half into this thing. But let me tell you a, a, a personal goal that I have. And that is if Christ tarries his return, that Clearwater Church is faithfully preaching the gospel a hundred years from now. I want Clearwater Church to be here for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, that they'll be involved in winning people to Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. I believe that that, if, if Jesus tarries, I think that that is the will of God for Clearwater Church. That's exciting to me, being, being part of uh, uh, the ground floor of building that kind of a church. And, and you know what? It's not too early to talk about. It doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality. It requires deliberate decisions. And we need to make those decisions and begin working on it now, even though we're only a year and a half into it. So today, I want to be asking the question, what can we be doing even now to lay a foundation so that Clearwater Church is faithful for the long haul? We're 30 weeks into our 31-week overview of the Bible. Pause. Did you catch that? 30 weeks into our 31. Well done! We're almost done. And I hope that you have benefited from... Uh, exposing yourself to God's Word, and I hope you've read a whole bunch of the, of the story, and we've got a couple more books back there. Please uh, take them if you don't have one and, and uh, catch up. Next week, we're actually going to finish two weeks from now. Next week, we'll talk about chapter 31, and then two, uh, two weeks from now, we're going to have a dramatic uh, recap of the whole story by Brad Alexander, and it's going to be uh, tremendous. In our readings this week, it was all about the, uh, the last days of the Apostle Paul, that great mi min uh, missionary of the church. And the thing that just jumped off the page at me is how well Paul finished. He was faithful to the end. He, he was faithful for the long haul. 
And so Paul is the, a guy who can teach us about what it takes to be faithful for the long haul. And fortunately for us, he tells Timothy, his protege, uh, what it takes. In our text today, he tells Timothy, here's what you need to be doing now, Timothy, if you, like I, want to end up finishing well, if you want to be faithful for the long haul. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a letter the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy uh, shortly before he is beheaded because of his witness for Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. In other words, Timothy, take this seriously. This is important. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We're going to focus on verse 5 today, because in verse 5, Paul gives Timothy four commands. As for you, here's what you need to be doing right now if you want to wind up uh, like I, finishing well. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We're going to apply this primarily today to us as a church corporately, but obviously there are uh, lots of implications for us individually as well. Ready for this? Ready to jump in? Come on, encourage me. Yeah, yeah it's very, okay, now I'm pumped up. All right. Timothy, you want to be faithful for the long haul? Always be sober-minded. What does it mean? Well, it's the opposite of being intoxicated by ideas that are popular and uh, feel good. Look again at verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul says, Timothy, I don't want you to be like that. Uh, there are lots of uh, ideas out there that people get excited about and become wildly popular. And that seem right. Like you want them to be true. They appeal to your fleshly passions. But Paul that's not the way you decide your beliefs. The way you determine what is true is by the word of God. So to be sober-minded is to ground your beliefs in God's word. 
Twice earlier in the text, uh, in this letter, Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, 13, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. And then in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. So Paul's been repeatedly telling Timothy. You ground your belief system in the word of God. That's what is going uh, to, that's going to help you be faithful for the long haul. So how does this apply to us as a church? I have three applications. Uh, number one, we need to ground our belief system in, in the Bible. Uh, if you go to our website, that's where our statement of faith is. You can see it, and it is grounded in the word of God. If you doubt that, challenge it. That's applaudable. If you think that our belief system is not in line with the word of God, it needs to be challenged. And so do that. Uh, secondly, we need to appreciate the old-time gospel. One of the things I love about uh, Park Street Church, listen to this. In 2003, Park Street Church reaffirmed the doctrinal statement that had pen been penned in 1877. I love that. Hey, it was true in 1877, it's true today. We need, as a church, let's appreciate the old-time gospel. That's what we preach. That's what we believe. Uh, we're not interested in what is new. If it's novel, it's probably wrong. All right? If it's new, we are instantly suspicious. We preach and we appreciate the old-time gospel. Uh, and then finally, we need, to, uh, we need to elect leaders who are able to teach. The Bible says uh, that's one of the prerequisites of uh, a pastor elder. They must be able to, be, to teach. Now, so in about a year and a half from now, we're going to elect leaders from amongst our body to shepherd the church. Right now, I'm kind of a solo leader under the authority of uh, change points elders. But that's going to change. And when that time comes... Uh, we elect teachers. They can't just be good businessmen. It's not, not enough that they can run an organization well. They must be able to teach. doesn't mean they need some Bible degree. It uh, doesn't mean they need to be actually upfront teaching. But they need to know the word of God so that they can sniff out false teaching. And they can say, okay, you know what? I know that that's really popular right now. I know that it's selling tremendously on Amazon. But... Uh, I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible teaches. And uh, I know, I know that that's a little unpopular today. It's not in step with our culture. And I know that a lot of other churches are abandoning that. But you know what? That's the teaching of the Word of God. And that's what we're going to stick with. We need those kind of people. There's another old church in Boston, Old West Church. And it was established in 1737. And its first pastor was an old Scottish preacher, and they, they were committed to the orthodox gospel, to the, the old-time gospel. But you go to their website today, you click on who we are, uh, they, their opening line is, we are a reconciling church. Sounds great, has a hyperlink, click on that, what does it mean? 
Basically, it says our mission is to uh, celebrate and include and promote uh, uh, all types of sexual identities and gender identities and orientations and something called affectional identities. I hadn't even heard that. So bottom line is they, here's this church that has now made it its mission to promote unbiblical ideas of sexuality and gender. Uh, and unfortunately, that's too often the norm. And so we don't want to go there. So to not go there, we ground our beliefs in the Word of God, we appreciate the old-time gospel, and we always elect leaders who are able to teach. Their reality is grounded in the Bible, not in what's popular or feels good. Number two, Timothy, you want to be faithful for the long haul? Uh, endure suffering. Paul knows that, Timothy, if you're not able to endure suffering, you will not be faithful to uh, your calling for the long haul. Uh, Paul himself is writing this letter while he is in prison. The Roman government has got him in prison. They're trying to silence him. Uh, he experienced uh, persecution from the Jews who did not like the fact that the Christians claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, that the Messiah had already come and that they had killed him. That was offensive. So they were persecuting the Christians, and Paul knew Timothy was going to face that. Plus, there will be persecution even from within the church. People who rise up to try to challenge uh, uh, Timothy's authority in the church and to challenge his teaching. And, he, and so what, Timothy, what Paul's telling Timothy is, look, if you, if you are not able to endure some suffering, you will not stand for the long term. You'll get blown off. Point. You will be silenced. And so how does this apply to us as a church? Well, I, th I think, uh, number one, we need to build a little suffering into our vision of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Uh, you and I have got to build a little suffering into our vision of the Christian life. If our overarching goal in life is to be comfortable and not ruffle any feathers and not endure any hardship, we won't be able to be faithful to the gospel for the long run. I had uh, the tremendous privilege in, in Bible college. I was only uh, 19, and there I had an old, an old uh, pastor who was my professor and he had he'd pastored church for many many years and uh, the guy seemed really ancient to me at the time but he I really appreciated how he just kept driving this home you know if you're going to be a pastor you're going to suffer it's part of the calling and you better get used to it now and prepare yourself for it and I really appreciated that uh, it it protected me and so that's what Paul's telling Timothy you got to prepare to endure some suffering and then we as a church, we need, to, uh, we need to continue preaching the gospel and living out biblical values even when it costs us, even when there is a backlash. Listen, our society is uh, incre becoming increasingly secular. It has unmoored itself from its Christian roots, and it is drifting farther and farther away from biblical values and teachings. And so as we remain faithful to the old-time gospel and proclaim the word and the will of God, we are going to be increasingly out of step 
with our society. And there will be some who don't like what we say and will try to silence us. And it happens all over the world. God's people uh, endure real hardship because of their faithful witness for the gospel. And uh, here in, in, a, in the United States, our, the suffering we endure is very light. But I'm, uh, I project, uh, you know, 100 years from now, I don't think it, it might not necessarily be so light. And uh, so we need, to, we need to be willing to endure suffering as a church. Number three, uh, Timothy, you want to be faithful for the long haul? Do the work of an evangelist. Evangelism is all that stuff that we do to convince people to open their eyes to the fact that life in Jesus Christ is real life. And so we don't know whether, whether Paul issues this command to Timothy because he's not naturally inclined to do evangelism. Like, oh, please, don't make me do that. That's not the way I'm naturally gifted. Or if, uh, or if Timothy did have the gift of evangelism, but the burdens of um, leading a church were he was getting focused with meeting the needs of the insiders, and neglecting his gift to reach out. Either way, uh, what's important to us as a church is, as I mentioned about a few weeks ago, the church has three primary purposes. Uh, worship, nurture, and witness. Worship, our ministry to God. Nurture, our ministry to each other. And then witness, our ministry to those outside the church. And I said, we have got to be balanced as a church. And uh, all of the church... Um, those who study the church say, uh, over time, the longer a church is around, inevitably, they begin to devote more of their attention, more of their time, more of their energies, more of their money on caring for the insider to the neglect of those outside. And so, we have to make a decision as a church. Now, here's the application for us. In, we have got to make a decision that we are going to Ensure that the needs of the outsider have a place at the table, have a voice at the table. The table, you know, where the decisions get made. What are our priorities? What are we going to be, what's our ministry plan? How are we going to spend our money? Uh, we have got to make a, a decision. The, the insiders are at the table. But we have to discipline ourselves to say, but what about those still outside? What do they need for us? And what they need is they need for us to be going out to them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, inviting them to, into faith in Jesus and into uh, participation in the body of Christ. Do the work of an evangelist. Are we doing that? We have to be asking ourselves that as a church constantly. Finally, uh, Timothy, if you want to be faithful for the long haul, Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What was Timothy's ministry? Well, Paul had put him in charge of the church of Ephesus. Paul had planted Ephesus and then said, Okay, Timothy, uh, I'm, handing, I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting this church plant to you, and your job is to establish it. Appoint faithful men as leaders. Make sure that, it's doc, you know, make sure that, it, uh, that its doctrine gets implanted correctly. Uh, and that it's church culture and DNA is healthy. And what Paul is saying right here is, finish the task. This is a ministry God has entrusted to you, Timothy. And you can't, don't stop before it's done. Complete the thing. Uh, and so, 
the, the, um, the application to me is just jumps off the page, right? And here's the way I put it. Uh, for me, it is minister at Clearwater Church until it is fully established. Or you have to always give God room to do what he wants. Or God unambiguously calls me elsewhere. But it better be unambiguous. Finish, fulfill your ministry. You know, uh, don't, some other great opportunity surfaces and it looks super fun and attractive and no. God has entrusted a ministry to you, Timothy. Finish it. Be faithful to it. So it's super easy for me to apply, but may I suggest that you need to wrestle with that same question. Over a hundred adults have now signed on the dotted line. We consider Clearwater Church our home church. And God clearly is not calling just Sabrina and me and Chris and Ann to plant Clearwater Church. It's, a, it's an entire body. And so if you, if you have said, count me in, I think you need to then ask, is this a ministry that God has called me to and entrusted me with? Very, very often, because listen, it's, it, we are all ministers. I hold a, an office and a title, but we are all ministers, and we are all involved in planting Clearwater Church. And so uh, too often, I think we, we get involved in churches, and we feel like total free agents. I'm just here for as long as I want to be here. And I have no, I have zero, I have no interest in guilt tripping anybody, being uh, cult-like or anything. Uh, all I ask is that you wrestle with the question, God, have you, is part of my ministry calling to help establish Clearwater Church? And if it is, then probably you need to say, well, I don't, I'm not going to, I need to fulfill that and not, uh, unless God unambiguously calls me elsewhere. So not wanting to uh, put any undue burdens, just wrestle with that like I do. Uh, Pastor Dan Krause uh, of Community Covenant Church, he pointed something out in this text that I hadn't seen. He said, you know, Mike, uh, think about this. Paul loves Timothy. He calls Timothy his son. Uh, Paul wants the absolute best for Timothy, right? And so here he is. He's at the end of his life, and he's talking to uh, probably his most beloved ministry partner, and he's saying, I want for you, and then here's what Dan said. Notice, he's basically saying, Timothy, you know the life that I have had, that the life that included snake bite and, uh, and some stoning and hunger and shipwreck and lots of imprisonment and some lashes by the cat of nine tails and, and, uh, and, and I'm about to go die? You know that life? I want that for you. That's exactly what I want for you. And uh, when he said that, we started laughing, and we're like, that's hilarious. But that's, why would he want that for Timothy? And that's what verses 6 to 8 are all about. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, now here it is, henceforth, like henceforth, from now on. 
from now throughout all of eternity, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, Timothy, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, you can have that crown too. That's what Paul's saying. Timothy, I want you to have the same life I've had. I want you to finish well just as I am finishing well because there will be a crown of righteousness for you on that day when Jesus, the righteous judge, says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enter into my rest henceforth. That's why it's worth the suffering and the sticking with it and doing the work of an evangelist even if that's not natural and, and saying no to what's necessary, to popular and easy and sticking with the word of God. So let's take a moment to respond. Bow your heads if you would, just for your own concentration. We, as a church, are always we as the people, and it comes down to us individually and the decisions each of us make that leads to the culture as a whole. And so, how is God challenging you today through his word? Always be sober-minded. Ground your beliefs, ground your reality in the word of God. God challenging you more in that? Endure suffering. You know what? You go to school. I know you want to be popular. I know you want to fit in. But you know what? A little bit of ostracism, a little bit of being on the outs so that you can be faithful to me so that you can be bold. Maybe that's the suffering God's calling you to. Maybe it's to uh, not to be overlooked for a promotion at work. Because you haven't always conformed. Do the work of an evangelist. I know you're naturally introverted. <laughs> I know it's uh, risky. It's uncomfortable at times. But God has brought people into our lives that we're best positioned to speak into. Is that your challenge today? Fulfill your ministry. What ministry has God given to you? You have a ministry. You might have multiple ministries. I was thinking today about parents. Being faithful. Fulfill it. Your kids are still alive. Pray for them. Be an example to them. Husbands and wives, you have a ministry to each other. Don't give up on that. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap a reward if you do not give up.
Jesus Christ, you are Lord of the church. And your desire, if you return, is for us to be here a hundred years from now, a blessing anchorage with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, you are pleased with us uh, reaffirming our commitment to you and to the gospel, taking your commands, your injunctions to your servant Timothy and applying them to us today in 2015. Uh, you are with us. We're, you are resurrected from the dead. We care about what we are doing here this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.